Welcome to part two of Interview with an Agent. I'm Mike Duran, your host. This is a podcast that we originally published as one long podcast. We covered a lot of information, and thanks to your feedback, we are republishing as two podcasts. So in part one, I made a prediction about uh, the Realogy Amazon partnership, and I had predicted that it would not last long. I also We also talked about tech and how it's important, but it's not a substitute for service skills or experience. We also talked about how to spot an agent who gives advice that's best for them, but maybe not necessarily best for you. Well, in part two, we'll talk about the pros and cons of working with a new agent. Should you hire a friend or family member? If we're related, yes. And the big fat red flag you need to be aware of if you're interviewing an agent will also answer the question, do you need to like your agent? The surprising answer plus pro tips talk all about due diligence. But first, let's pick up with where we left off where we reveal the bias that agents have against other agents. As I, this one kind of, I'm scratching my head here, but let's pick it up. This is part two of Interview with an Agent. It's real estate for the rest of us. It seemed to me that he was a new agent, which kind of brings up another topic. And this is actually a hot button amongst uh, real estate agents, or I should say it's a hot button amongst experienced real estate agents because there is a bias against new agents. And I don't get it. I mean, I get it and I don't get it. We were all new at one point. You know, I had my first license in 1994, which was a long time ago, but there were many years in between where I didn't practice. And my background's actually in landscape architecture. I've always been in the development community. I've worked for home builders. I've I've not been far from real estate. I've always been part of that. I've been most currently licensed since 2011, 2010, 2011, 2011. I've done a lot of transactions and I've had great experiences with brand new agents. I actually had one of the best, uh, smoothest transactions I ever had was with an agent. It was his, it was his very first transaction and he was um, supposed to be mentored, and I think that his mentor got busy or whatever. Anyway, he was very candid, and he said, look, this is my first transaction. I was like, look, we've got the same goal, which is to get the house closed and to have a smooth transaction. We'll work together. And we did. It actually ended up being a great transaction. Because he was new, and this was his first transaction, it was also his only transaction. So guess what? I had 100% of his attention anytime I needed something. And when I asked for documents, he was Johnny on the spot. When we needed signatures, um, he was great. He had a broker that was clearly supervising the paperwork part of it. So I don't ever recall having to go back for signatures uh, or anything like that. I've worked with experienced agents who, you know, one of the worst transactions I ever had, I shouldn't say worst, one of the hardest transactions I ever had was a guy who had 10 years of experience. But he just... I, I don't know if he had checked out, if he was just on cruise control or what, but it was it was a horrible transaction. I ended up doing both our jobs. So level of experience doesn't necessarily translate to level of service. One thing, if you are talking with a new with somebody who is um, has limited experience, maybe they've been in the profession less than a year. I don't think that needs to be a disqualifier. But ask them, what kind of support are you getting? Are you getting support from a team? Are you getting support from your broker? And then ask for specifics. And if they're truly getting support from their broker or they have somebody they're teamed up with or another agent they can rely on, 
they can talk to specifics. If it's just kind of like ambiguous and there's no real direction, then, you know, it might be that somebody's offered their support, but they really haven't come through for them. You know, I wouldn't necessarily shy away from a new agent. I think so long as they're getting uh, support and they have a broker who is um, closely monitoring them or ideally mentoring them, then it's really not uh, a bad way to go with a new agent. And if you're working with somebody who is experienced, um, then you can start to drill a little bit deeper and you can ask about their experience, so, you know, what types of transactions they've handled. I'll be the first to tell you, no two transactions are the same. The, the buyers are different, the situations are different. You know, they might be a cash buyer, they may be, um, you know, have a conventional loan, which is different than an FHA loan, which has different requirements than a VA loan. And then everybody's situation is different. They may have a home to sell, you know, ask a lot of questions and see what kind of experience they have. And if it feels like a good fit, and if you're looking to, uh, to list your home, they should be very specific as to what kind of marketing plan do they have that is specific to your home. If they have a one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter marketing plan, that might work for your house. If your house is, you know, what you would consider to be a typical house in in your neighborhood, but if there's something special about it, or you want a premium for it, or maybe you have some challenges to it, maybe there's a cloud on the title, or maybe there's an elderly parent that's on there, or there's a power of attorney, or you know, there's a house under trust. There's all kinds of situations, divorce situation. No two transactions are the same. And generally speaking, the more transactions you do, the better your uh, experience that you have. So while I wouldn't shy away from a new agent, it's hard to beat an experienced agent, or I should say an experienced agent with a track record. One caveat with new agents is there is a tendency, and this comes from this comes from the brokers, and you'll you'll see a lot of agents too kind of giving the same advice. They'll tell the agent to, you know, when they talk about experience, they'll say, Oh yeah, we've got like 30 years of experience, and they're referring to the brokerage's experience and not their own experience, because at the end of the day, it is the brokerage that represents you. If you're a new agent listening to this, or you're talking to someone that's a new agent, Here's my advice. Don't use your brokerage's numbers. Don't use somebody else's numbers. It's disingenuous. This kills me when agents talk about trust, you know, that, uh, oh, well, the, the clients don't trust us or the public doesn't trust us. And then at the same time, they're talking about, you know, like, go inflate your numbers. Um, there's a reason why the public doesn't trust us uh, because you know, agents will do tactics like that. There's absolutely no reason to inflate your numbers. I've never been in a listing presentation where the client or potential client has asked me how much volume I've done in the last year or the past two years or the past whatever years. Uh, they don't care. What they care about is how are you going to market my home? How are you going to help me achieve my goals? If you're talking to a new agent, be specific about what service they're going to provide you. Those, that's where the, the focus should be is what kind of service do they provide and then what kind of support system do they have? And really those two things should be questions for every agent, but definitely for new agents. So while we're talking about service, uh, I wanna talk about something I teased a little earlier in the podcast. And that was a big fat red flag you should be looking out for when you're interviewing an agent. 
And, um, you know, obviously uh, you want to judge this in the context of your entire discussion, but your conversation should be centered around or your interview should keep coming back to your goals. And if you're talking to an agent who is trying to create a sense of urgency, which I think happens a lot because we're in a sales driven profession. Uh, that's actually what my license says. It's a salesperson. The reality is I'm not selling anything. I don't, you know, yeah, I sell homes, but really don't sell homes. I market homes. If I'm on the listing side, I market homes. And if I'm on the buyer side, I'm not selling you anything. You know, the buyer is the one making the decision. I am helping them find their home, but my job, whether I'm on the buyer side or the seller side, is to represent my client. My job is to help them navigate the process. My job is to help them solve problems or overcome problems that come up during the transaction. That's the job. Job isn't sales. But I don't want to go off on a tangent about that. I want to circle back to um, that red flag you need to look out for. So judge this in the overall context of your conversation or your interview with your agent. You Your discussion should focus on your goals or it should keep coming back to your goals. And so when an agent is talking about what services they offer, they they should be talking about the services that they offer and how that helps you achieve your goals. And if you're finding that your conversation keeps coming back to how they can earn your business, I, I, I hate that phrase. I just hate it. But if they keep saying like, you know, how can we earn your business today or whatever, that's sale. That's a sales pitch. That's not about helping you achieve your goals. That's a sales pitch. If they are talking about the services they offer and how that helps you achieve your goals, that's how they earn your business. Otherwise, it's just to say, otherwise, they're just trying to overcome objections and overcoming objections is is sales helping you achieve your goals is representation, which is what the job is about. So if you're talking to an agent and he's he or she is going over market analysis and then they get to the end and their conclusion is, and as you can see, now has never been a better time to sell your home and they haven't asked you what your goals are, that's somebody who's focused on their goals and not your goals. If you have someone who is uh, you know, representing you or wants to represent you as buyer's agent, and they're like, hey, you need to get in there, you need to buy right now, but they haven't really talked about your goals. Uh, hey, look, maybe the market is on fire and there's not a lot of inventory and it's super competitive, but if they haven't talked to you about your goals or they're not listening to what your goals are, then it doesn't matter how competitive it is. It doesn't matter how few homes there are. If the only home that's available in your price point is a three bedroom and you need a four, that's not a fit doesn't matter how competitive the market is. If you know you're looking at houses that your budget is 350 and they want to talk to you about $500,000 golf course homes that that's not a fit. So, if you are on the buyer side, I, I I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. I did a whole podcast on this. I I've never been a big fan of trying to time the market. And so that said, if you are working with an agent or you're interviewing an agent who is, you know, trying to light that fire under you saying, you know, you got to buy right now or the market's on fire, 
um, that's somebody who's probably focused on their goals and not focused on your goals. And I want to say for my my realtor colleagues out there, look, it's a business. I mean, we, you need to have goals and you, you absolutely need to have goals. I have goals, but my job is to represent my clients and help them achieve their goals. And quite frankly, if I'm helping my clients achieve their goals, I'm achieving my goals. So if you, whether you're a buyer or a seller, if you're interviewing an agent and they are resorting to scare tactics to get you, to compel you to sell your home or to buy a home, huge red flag, run, don't walk in the other direction or you know, I don't know, uh, get up and proceed in an orderly fashion towards your nearest exit, but get out of there. It, uh, that's not, that's not someone that is looking out for your best interests. And I think that if you were, you can only ask for a bad experience in that regard. If you have an agent who's looking out for their, their interest in achieving their goals right off the bat, they're not going to change midway through the transaction or midway through your your home buying or your home selling process. You want an agent who is focused on helping you achieve your goals. Now this comes up from time to time and it's should you hire should you hire an agent who's a friend or a family member? I get you know I'm on the flip side of this too so I see it all the time and I have friends and colleagues who you know, they get hurt. Their feelings are hurt because their friend or family member listed their home with somebody else or they bought a home with somebody else. Look, again, if you're an agent and you're listening to this, this is the same thing that I've said in, you know, any of the groups. I didn't get into real estate so I could sell homes to my friends. Um, I have friendships for friendship and real estate is uh, is a business transaction. I mean, you know, buying a home is a business transaction. It's a big investment. And I have friends who are attorneys that, um, that I don't use. I have friends who are accountants that I wouldn't use for my personal finances because I want to have an arm's length there. If I have friends that use another agent, my feelings aren't hurt. It's like I said, it's a business transaction. Uh, do you have friends that own restaurants or do you eat at other restaurants? It's not really all that much different. It's a business transaction. So should you hire a family member or should you hire a friend? If you want to go through the interview process, I would be very candid. Same thing that you were interviewing other agents and then I would hire the best person for the job. And I know that's easier said than done. And sometimes there can be hurt feelings. But again, don't feel compelled to hire a family member. Hire the agent that's the best fit for you. It might be that your friend is on the opposite end of town, or maybe they don't know your neighborhood very well. Uh, maybe they aren't the best fit for that. Which brings me to my last item. Do you need to like your agent? It sounds so goofy to say as a point, but do you really need to like your agent? Uh, I would say from a strictly business standpoint, no, you don't need to like your agent. If you hire an attorney to represent you in court, do you need to like your attorney? No, you just need the results. Do you need to like your agent? Eh, not necessarily, but would it be nice? For sure. And I, most of the agents I've worked with, uh, again, like 99% of the agents that I've had interactions with, or I should say transactions with, I would work with again in a heartbeat. And I thought they were all great agents, very professional, 
would love to work with them again on the heart in a heartbeat. On the flip side, I I have been so lucky in my career. Every client that I've ever had, I would absolutely work with again in a heartbeat. And not to say that there were never challenges. You know, sometimes we get people who, um, it, you know, they get frustrated or, you know, um, it gets very emotional and they get very anxious. And sometimes we don't always see people at their best. But I would absolutely work with every client that I've ever had. Again, they've all been great to work with, um, just wonderful, wonderful experiences. But do you really need to like your agent? I So true story, I was on uh, a listing presentation. This was several years ago. I was on a team and uh, it was a referral. You know, the seller was was very upfront saying that she was interviewing several agents she she interviewed um, she interviewed me and uh, my my team leader I'm using air quotes here uh, was an agent that I was working with uh, who was very very experienced and had a great track record but um, one of the worst people I've ever worked with in my life and uh, it was just not wasn't a good working experience but when we were interviewing for this presentation I thought it went pretty well um, I followed up with the client a few or the seller a few days later. And she said, you know, I narrowed it down to two and I've got you guys and I've got, you know, this other agent who she eventually selected. And when she did, she did us a big favor. She was very candid in her feedback. And she said, look, I really liked you. thought you were very professional. Uh, but the, I didn't like your coworker. I didn't like the other agent. And she said, and I thought I still narrowed it down to these two teams. I didn't need to like her. I knew I could still work with her. That's somebody who is thinking of it as a business transaction. You may like your agent, you may love your agent, but if they aren't experienced at the type of transaction that you're doing, or you know, they may not be the best fit, or maybe they don't have the time. You know, so do you need to like them? Ideally, yes, but you don't have to. I don't know. Maybe you hire an agent that you don't like and then you write a review that uh, you felt like you had no other choice other than to work with with that agent. Uh, actually, I, I shouldn't have said that. She the the person that posted that, uh, she seemed like a very nice person. All right. Well, now you know how to interview an agent. Uh, I wish you all the best in finding uh, an agent. And if there's something that I missed or some, you know, some other questions that you had or something that um, you'd like to add, uh, feel free to reach out. You can contact me through all the socials. You can find me on my handle at welcomehomelv. You can also email me. It's mike at welcomehomelv.com. All right, so now that you know how to find an agent, it's time for pro tips. So you've got a house that's now under contract after all of the looking or all of the showings. Offer accepted. Congratulations. So now it's time to kick back and just cruise through the next 30 days of escrow, right? Wrong. So right when the contract gets accepted, there begins a period called due diligence. And this is one of the most important times in the transaction. If you are a buyer, this is the time to be doing all of your research on it. So ideally you've already done some research prior to writing an offer on the house, but due diligence is that time where you get to uh, take a closer look at the home, do your inspections, and during due diligence, you have access to the property that you likely didn't have prior to writing the offer. Essentially, in due diligence, that is the buyer's opportunity to cancel the contract at any time, 
for any reason. In fact, they don't even have to give a reason. They can just cancel during due diligence. How long is the due diligence period for? Well, that is negotiable. Now here in Nevada, um, it's negotiable. It may be required um, in your state, so definitely um, check. But here in Nevada, it's negotiable. For parties that if everybody's in state, or I should say if everybody's in town, then I like to allot seven days due diligence. If there are any parties who are out of town, then uh, whether it's the buyer or the seller, then I like to allot 10 days for due diligence. And quite frankly, seven days is plenty of time to order your home inspection and to do any of the other inspections that you plan on doing. Always, always, please, please do a home inspection. Um, I, I just had a, uh, a, I've got a transaction I'm working on right now where they did a home inspection and they asked for the infrared scan and the home inspector found a leak in the drywall, but it was a brand new leak. Uh, found out from the owner that um, they had suspected it came from a plumbing repair they had done three weeks earlier. So it hadn't been leaking that long, which meant it, it didn't have a chance to come through the drywall yet. Had my clients not done the home inspection and done the infrared scan, totally would have gotten missed and it would have been on their plate to take care of after they moved into the house. So the due diligence period is where you absolutely want to have your home inspections done. Um, so the home inspection, if you're doing a pest inspection, roof inspection, uh, it, you know, out here, out west where it gets really, really hot, uh, we oftentimes will do an HVAC inspection. That's the, um, the air conditioner, uh, air conditioning inspection. You definitely want to do all your inspections during the due diligence period. Now, if you're on the buyer side and it's negotiable, it's like, well, why not ask for like two weeks of due diligence? Well, if you come in with an offer and your offer is great, but you're asking for, you know, 14 days due diligence, that's 14 days that the seller is going to have their home off the market and they run the risk that the buyer could cancel at any time and there's no recourse for the seller. So when the buyer cancels during the during the due diligence period, they will generally get 100% of their earnest deposit, earnest money deposit back. And so all the risk is on the seller during the due diligence period. So if you came in with an offer that is like, hey, we want 14 days due diligence on the seller side, they're either going to counter that uh, or they'll just flat out reject it. And if you're in a multiple offer situation and you're asking for you know, uh, more than seven days due diligence, uh, that to me would be a red flag. So, so be smart about it. And then you need to be, you need to be diligent during your due diligence period. Uh, don't wait. Uh, your agent should be ordering the home inspection immediately. Like, you know, offer accepted. Great. Next phone call is to the title company to open escrow. And then the next phone call should be to the home inspector to get on their schedule. And then I think you're gonna find with most most inspectors, they're generally writing the report the same day or the next day. So within 48 hours of the inspection, you generally have a report in hand. And again, if you're on top of things and you're, you're ordering this stuff at the beginning of um, the transaction, seven days is plenty. And when I say seven days, uh, you know, you get those inspections back, there may need to be repairs that uh, may need to be done. I'll be the first to tell you a home inspector always going to find something. It could be a brand new house and they will find something. And you know, and not to not to be a pest or to try and derail the, you know, the the transaction, but that's their job. Their their job is to find um, things that are potential problems with the house. So they're going to find something. 
And if, uh, if you're on the buyer side and you need to at, request that the seller do some repairs, you want to do that during the due diligence period too, because it could be something like a roof leak. Uh, you know, you may have something else though that you want the seller to fix. And if the seller doesn't want to fix it, you may decide that you don't want to spend the money on it, or it's too big of a um, an issue for you. And if you're gonna if you're gonna cancel, then you want to cancel in the due diligence period. So you want to be able to have enough time to do your inspections, and then put in your request for repairs, if any. You may be the home inspector may find some things, and you may be totally fine with it and want to repair them on your own, and that's okay. But if you do need to ask for repairs, you want to give the seller a reasonable amount of time to evaluate it, look at the cost, and then respond to you. And then you want to be able to have a reasonable amount of time to evaluate their response. They may agree to fix, you know, if you've got five things you're asking them to fix and they agree to fix three, then you want to have a reasonable amount of time to decide if you still want to move forward with it. So absolutely want to get um, those things done during the due diligence period. If you are on the selling side, if you're the if you're the seller, again, the risk for the seller is that the home is off the market during this time. So while it's off the market, you as a seller are potentially missing out on other people who may have wanted to write offers on the property. So as a seller, you want to prepare for you know these worst case scenarios. You know if it is going to fall apart, you want it to fall apart at the beginning of the transaction so you can minimize the amount of time that the home is off the market so that you can get back on there and go after that next buyer. As a seller, you want to make sure that they are scheduling their home inspection at the beginning of the transaction and that they're doing those things and that they're moving along. And then, you know, here in Nevada, we have uh, what's called a resale package where we need to uh, provide all of the rules for the homeowners association if the home is in a homeowners association. And that the uh, buyers have five days to review that resale package and they can cancel for whatever reason in those five days. They have five days to review it and then decide if they're good with all of the rules, the financial health of the um, the homeowners association if they're not they can cancel well that's a separate clock than the due diligence time and if you're a seller you want that clock to be running concurrently with due diligence so if the buyer has asked for seven days due diligence you absolutely want to try and get that resale package to them during the due diligence period so that that five day that five day review period for the resale package is happening concurrently with due diligence. And that way if they cancel for whatever reason because of the resale package that's happening during the due diligence period and then you're back on the market for you know being down the least amount of time. Um, if they accept the resale package, that's great. And then that happened during the due diligence period, that, that box is now checked. And then now you're just getting past um, the rest of the issues, which is typically home inspection stuff during that time. Now, disclosures vary by state, but for required disclosures, you absolutely, as a seller, want to get those to the buyer as early as possible during the due diligence period. And so if they're asking for seven days due diligence, don't give it to them on day six, give it to them on day two, ideally day one. Where I'm at, we have what's called a seller's real property disclosure. It goes by different names depending on the state, but it is essentially the same document. And it's a disclosure from the seller of things that they are aware of that are that could affect potentially affect the value of the home. 
here in Nevada, it's a required uh, disclosure. It's There are similar required disclosures around the country. If you were a seller, absolutely get that to your buyers early in the transaction. Again, day one, day two, day three, you're already late. So get it to them early. I mean, legally, you can give it to them on you know day 23 of a 30-day escrow or however long your escrow is. But if you've waited that long, your home's been off the market all that time, they may look at it and go, oh, we had no idea that um, you know there was a utility easement that was running through here. We had no idea that um, the home was damaged by fire five years ago and was repaired. We're not comfortable with that. And then they cancel. Okay, If they're going to cancel, you want them to cancel at the beginning uh, of the transaction, not towards the end when your home has been off the market. Those are the things, If again, if you're a seller, you want to minimize your time off the market. And if you're a buyer, you absolutely want to be on the ball and get those inspections done. Take advantage of that time. That's what it's there for. If you're a buyer and you do you know, end up needing to cancel because you're not comfortable with it, you're doing the seller a favor by canceling at the beginning of the transaction and not at the end. And look, no hard feelings. It just it didn't work out cancel and move on the seller can move on but get those things done at the beginning of due diligence well for more pro tips be sure to check out my blog it's welcomehomelv.com slash blog you can also find me on twitter by my handle at welcomehomelv where i talk about real estate tips and i trash talk other hockey teams that are not the golden knights um, I'd also love to connect with you on all of the socials. You can find me by my handle, Welcome Home LV. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Duran, and this has been Real Estate for the Rest of Us. Music.